Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is always one of my favorite episodes in a normal NBA season. The second night where most of the teams end up playing. We still have a few who've yet to debut, but we got a bunch of awesome games to get through. We did our, our first cast today, too, on NBA League Pass for Brooklyn Orlando, which was a, a ton of fun. Got some really nice comments on that. You can still go back and check that out, actually, in the League Pass app. If you had League Pass or you can purchase the single game, you just go basically in NBA.com, click on the score of that game from today and check it out let us know what you think and of course we'll be doing it again eight o'clock eastern on monday for spurs sixers spurs look pretty good today actually we'll, we'll talk about that but let us begin here with houston and dallas heartbreaking loss for dallas one of many actually that we've uh, seen for the three young southwest division teams uh, as we'll get to new orleans already lost yesterday but dallas uh probably should have had this one Absolutely. And one of the stories that you and I kept an eye on this season was the the weird thing that Dallas dramatically underperformed their point differential. And part of that was crunch time scoring. And I don't think it w- it's it's necessarily always, oh, the things tighten up, they're young guys or anything like that. In this game, part of it was, ju- was I thought Houston did a really poor job defending the point of attack most of the time in the first three quarters. And then they just got a lot better about it. They started, they, they were more sound and that just gave their defense so much more rigidity because remember Houston, this came up in the podcast we did Thursday night about Lakers Clippers. When teams play small, one of the big weaknesses they have is protecting the rim. And in the Clippers case, you can slow down, you can reduce the number of rim attacks by stout perimeter defense. And Houston can do that at times. And I thought they did a much better job of that in the fourth quarter in overtime, though. I mean, there was still plenty of scoring in this game. Yeah. 153-149 in the end. And there were offensive fireworks. We'll talk about that. But I mean, I think the end of the game is where we need to start it. And Dallas was in control. They went up six within the last minute on a Moxie Kleba three after Russell Westbrook went with some hero ball over helping and just left him wide open one pass away in the corner and Luka Doncic will find him every time on that so Mavs are up yes yeah, so seven the, with 45 yeah. seconds left after that Kleba three Harden makes a ridiculous three-pointer in about five seconds going to his left uh, is marked as 31 feet uh, on the official play-by-play. Mavs run the time down. Luca misses the step back. He, he was really way off uh, on his step back tonight, one of nine from three. And so it's a four-point game at that point. Robert Covington makes a couple of free throws. They well, take and I'll, a foul. I'll, I'll note there, I was stunned that Houston operated so much of that possession inside the arc because two points when you're down four opens the door for the other team to potentially close it out, though they didn't here. Yeah, Mavs did a good job running off. And then, I mean, the Mavs get the ball in bounds quickly. They don't take the timeout. They execute perfectly. And they follow Seth Curry. A Curry is probably who you want going to the line in that situation. He misses the first free throw. He could have just made it a four-point game and ice it. Rockets have a timeout. They bring 
in Dorian Finney-Smith and James Harden they inbound it to him at half court Harden if anybody in NBA history that you would want to try to get a shot up as quickly as possible when he knows he's about to get fouled it's James Harden and uh because that Rick Carlisle went for the intentional foul basically at half court on Harden I mean I didn't think he was really in an advantage situation there but they're up three and they tried to foul to prevent the three-pointer and I thought Harden actually went into his shooting motion before he got fouled but uh my good friend Mark Davis and I say that with all sincerity he just is not going for any of the BS and so he is your referee spirit animal like but I, but at the at the same point, I thought Harden was in the shooting motion. Like I, I tweeted after what no, happened. No, he, he was. He was. Like and and just because like, I think there is this element of refereeing, and I mean, you and I are both lawyers. You could think about it in the legal context too. Of like, oh well, that couldn't have been what they were doing. But at a certain point in refereeing, you have to go on what actually happened. And James Harden was in a shooting motion when Dorian Finney-Smith's arm went in there, and so it to me it should have been three shooting fouls. But that ended up leading to the absolutely ridiculous circumstances that happened, Harden makes the first free throw, so he, so he only gets two. Makes the first, misses the second of two. Remember, so they, they wouldn't I, be enough with 3.9 seconds to go. And I, I don't think, did he miss it intentionally? I no. think it just rimmed out. I don't think he I, missed it intentionally. I don't think he did. Kelly Eco, I think, tweeted out the quote that Harden had. He might have said this to Rachel Nichols, that it was a perfect miss. I don't think he meant, I, I, I didn't get the intonation on that, but I think, yeah. I think it, he was J- trying. James Harden. When James Harden has a chance to score a point at the foul line, he's not missing intentionally under any circumstance. It didn't look like an intentional miss. That's something that's come up more on dunked on than, than a lot of topics is, is the missing of free throws. And that led to somehow Robert Covington coming around basically from the opposite side of the free throw line and getting a tip in that tied the game. I I, I thought it was basketball justice because to me it was a three-shot foul. James Harden is a wonderful free throw shooter. They ended up getting those. And there's also this idea of kind of... The, the being too cute by half, I am a supporter of fouling up three in most circumstances, but it's also a circumstance where you could use, where the Mavericks could use that to their advantage, kind of fake a foul and get Harden out of sorts. If 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 he had kind of faked it, Harden would have taken, had to take that shot. Remember the Chris Paul one years ago, former Rocket Chris Paul, when he basically tried to ba- tried to get a three shot foul, didn't get the foul call, and then blew the game. Like that's what would have happened here if Dorian Finney Smith hadn't actually had re- realized the situation and pulled out a little bit. Well, and what's more, uh, Finney Smith fouled out on that play as well, yes. which uh, became critical in the overtime when. They couldn't guard anybody. And, you know, Rick Carlisle definitely, I mean, with five seconds left, you think you play the foul game. Now, if my center is Chris Haps Porzingis, and it wasn't Porzingis, by the way, who missed the box out, it was Kleba, but Porzingis got pushed under the basket. He, I mean, Porzingis, it was really in his area on that side, although it wasn't his man to go, who went and got it. But Porzingis did this ridiculous thing that he does where instead of like boxing out with his buddy, he just turns towards the guy and just like puts his arms on him. So he has no chance of getting the rebound himself. He's a, an atrocious defensive rebounder. Well, so, and, and something uh, else in this situation that, that always frustrates me is Dallas had a timeout left you can use your substitutions and put in good defensive rebounders just for that circumstance and and it's not like shooting where it matters if a guy is cold or defense their job is to stand there and put their butt into dudes they have Boban Marjanovic who is basically a giant and Kristaps Porzingis is a legendarily terrible box out guy like that that's just not his his strength and yeah. I think coaches... Rick Carlisle, like, he's he's enough of a traditionalist that you could tell he's like, fuck it, this guy's 7'3". I'm not replacing him with someone to get a defensive rebound. And, you know, the Rockets are pretty small, but they use, Covington used his quickness incredibly yeah. well to get that. Yeah, and so that led to Dallas tying the game with 3.3 seconds left. Dallas still had that timeout, which they used, and I thought they didn't really get much. Now, it's hard in 3.3 seconds 
to necessarily get something. Luca Luca did a pull up. They didn't, they didn't move really anything beyond that, and so that that's what led the game into overtime. Yeah, and in the OT, Dallas really was worn down. I thought Luca in the fourth quarter, as Dallas was just unbelievable the first three quarters. Fourth quarter, they showed more help against him. He looked like he had worn down a little bit. It wasn't able to quite score as well at the rim. But, I mean, this is just, uh, we can talk more about the meat of the game. But this is, after that Kleba bucket, Dallas win probability 99.5%, up 7 with 45 seconds left, uh, according to Impredictable.com. So, this is just a massive blown loss. I mean, to be up 2 with Seth Curry going to the line and 5 seconds left, I mean, you're you're in pretty damn good position there, too. Uh, and that, and then to, they really just, so many things had to go wrong for them to blow. And this is an example of where, like, it's not a fail safe to just say oh foul up three i mean i I know you're a big proponent of it and the later the game really probably the better to do that but there it is possible for it to to go awry and then really um dallas did start out reasonably well and they led by four early in the overtime and then they really struggled to score the rest of the way harden was wonderful getting to the basket he looked like he had a ton of energy late in part probably because of the strategy where dallas in the second half was just double teaming he had Harden had 23 points and didn't miss a shot in the first quarter and then they just took the ball out of his hands after that so he was just waiting for the double team and just throwing a pass to someone and letting someone else attack and he had plenty of legs for the OT when he was able to start blowing by people and getting to the basket. Houston has a narrower rotation especially with Eric Gordon out for let's guess two weeks but all they, of the, they missed him immensely. He would immensely. probably be their number one option uh, on Doncic. He he would, but I also want to give a lot of credit to Daniel House. I thought House played a very strong game overall. Was confident with his shot and and competed defensively. You know, I I don't think he was as good as Eric Gordon would have been. But they needed someone to step up. All of Houston starters played forty minutes or more in their first first competitive game back in months. And yeah, it was overtime, but they still it was still a heavy workload for all of those guys. And when you think about their their defensive scheme, sometimes that can be aggressive too. In Mike D'Antoni, you know, knowing the guys that he trusts, he only played three guys off the bench: Jeff Green, Ben McLemore, and Austin Rivers. Yeah, it's a great point. Both teams shot it exceedingly well from three, around forty percent, and they both got up almost fifty attempts a piece in this one. This is definitely an offensive game, but Houston got just enough defensive activity in that fourth quarter to get back. But I mean, much as we want to credit. Houston like they should have lost like Dallas outplayed them and this is just another of these crazy clutch foibles uh, for Dallas and we'll talk more about how uh, these first two days of action have affected that West playoff picture but clearly I mean this is a killer loss uh, for Dallas now as they try to climb out of the seventh seed um well any other interesting notes on this one well I I thought that it was another reminder of how Kristaps Porzingis is a very different type of big man and you know it was funny that the day was kind of bookended with these two bigs that don't always use their size and and Nick Vucevic is used a lot more than Kristaps Porzingis does you know he can get into the post a little bit but Porzingis I was wondering about how he would fare against this lineup where you know Robert Covington is the tallest tallest guy who played for the Rockets in the entire game and and yeah I mean we, we've talked about it a lot on the show and in the early part there were more ISO kind of ISO post-ups for Porzingis than I liked and then in other moments it was just like you know he was kind of using guys as ball racks and you take advantage of his release point that was so high that the Rockets couldn't deal with it but he's he's not going to generate it's just a different type of offensive game for Porzingis and and then you know that the deep he did have 14 defensive rebounds in this one too but he doesn't use his size in the same way that like in the few minutes that Boban played Boban did yeah but it- 
I mean, Boban, they put him out there a little bit when it was just Westbrook, and Boban actually had some effective moments in the first half. He did not play in the second. Um, I thought Kleba looked good, but he wore down. I think 34 minutes is a lot for him, um, especially, again, noting that this is everyone's first game back. But these are important games, and I mean, I think the quality of play today overall was awesome. The level of competitiveness was awesome. Um, A few other things to, to note here. Harden actually picked up his fourth foul in the last minute of the first half. Uh, and after having 23 points in the first quarter, he had only one shot in the second quarter as they started doubling him with Russ off the floor. Um, the first half was 85-75, and both teams scored more than 42 points in the first quarter. That was the first time that had happened since 1990. And that was, uh, of course, as we see all these scoring records uh, against that ridiculous Nuggets team uh, with Paul Westhead. That's the one. The 107 in a in a half yeah which is uh, the record by uh the suns uh, against the nuggets uh, was that year so you could almost throw that nuggets team out there playing that loyola marymount crazy style uh which is more ridiculous even than any of the bombing that we see today um james harden had the highest scoring quarter without a missed shot in the nba this season with that 23 points and luka Doncic. 0 for 10 this season on shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute of the fourth or overtime this year. That's a, a big reason why they've struggled. And remember, Dodgers was good. That ridiculous shot that he had, remember, on the right baseline against Portland that forced overtime last year. Like, he had some big shots. Like, I don't, maybe you could say he wears down a little bit. I did think that happened today. But overall, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So uh, I, it, I did find it noteworthy that Dodgers, like, was playing around with his right knee. He had some tape on it. Then he took it off. He seemed to be limping after a third quarter layup and didn't seem to quite have the same juice but i'm not sure what to make of that we'll see if he shows up on the injury report at all he didn't get any treatment that i saw on the sideline i think it's testament to harden's efficiency that in this game 49 points on 30 shooting possessions despite going three of nine from three and three nine from three isn't terrible you know it's making making one third of them but he took nine shots in the restricted area one one from floater range one from mid-range nine threes and you know, made made was in front of it, and also you know, only turned the ball over once. Had eight had eight assists. And another interesting interesting thing for me in this game. Well, he, he didn't he didn't miss a two pointer the entire game. No, nope. by the way, he was eleven of eleven on two pointers, nine of nine yeah. in the restricted area. And, and of course, I don't think we said it, but he had uh, forty nine points. Yeah. in case you were wondering, and fourteen of twenty from the field, eighteen of twenty one from the foul, and that's about as good as it gets. So something that I thought was interesting about this one was the I guess we'll call it the defensive playmaking of the Houston. Rockets. They had 12 steals and 10 blocked shots. Some of that was late, like kind of lazy, over aggressive passes by the Mavericks. Harden, in particular, you know, he's he's not always the most engaged defender, but if he sees like a, an errant pass that he can grab, he's absolutely going to get it. Yeah, so, if he's back on defense, he'll pick up those floaters. He and Ben Simmons are probably two of the best in the league at getting those long outlet passes and picking them off. Yeah, and Covington had a few opportunistic blocks. He ended up with four total. And accused, yeah, they they can be kind of sharks in a different way than somebody like Matisse Thibel, but it can absolutely work for them. And there were times when it did here. Luca, in particular, I mean, he has the ball in his hands all the time. He had eight of the 20 turnovers for the Mavericks. Trey Burke's night uh, must be acknowledged. Yes. He made his first six three-pointers and finished with 31 points on the night in 30 minutes and really had had six assists uh, as well. He was the secondary scorer that they're looking for. Porzingis, I mean, he had a really interesting night. Got to the foul line a lot more than expected for 10 of 11. That really salvaged his night. He led the Mavs by quite a bit with 39 points, 13 of 26 from the field. And it wasn't really all three-pointers. He, he, if you take a look at his shot chart, 6 of 11 
uh, from mid-range and a lot of those were actually off switches so he was effective uh, on those plays uh and and they had to go to him in the late clock uh, a lot of times um he actually around the rim was only three out of three in the end well and that one and, out of four Porzingis this is something that's come up a few times with you guys that like when big men even though Porzingis is a little bit different when they, sometimes when they shoot floaters it's post-ups that didn't work that didn't work too well and I think that was a couple of his one for four from floater range yeah absolutely and Doncic I mean he really dominated through the first three quarters like it, they were just going right at James Harden getting the iso on him nobody could stay in front of him and then in the fourth quarter they just started getting more help the Mavs cooled off just enough from three-point range and uh, so they're, they're able to slow him down. I mean, the Mavs led by 13 late in the third. But again, I mean, the Mavs should have won this game. Like, yeah. it really was a, just a, a failure to execute do, do you down mind the if, stretch. Do you mind if I take a little bit uh, um, to talk about the, the seeding implications of just this game? Because I think this one is, is it's more notable than I think some are, are, are might, might not think just because it's the first game of eight and everything like that. But so now Dallas, they're four games in the loss column behind Oklahoma City, who has the sixth seed now because Houston jumped them. And also Houston, they get another, they get a win. Now they break, kind of functionally break the tie with OKC temporarily. But there are only now two games back of the Nuggets for the three seed and one game back of the Jazz for the four. Not that the four or five matters, but getting out of the seven matters a whole hell of a lot to the Houston Rockets. Yeah, absolutely. And by beating Dallas in particular, now they really do a great job of winning. And I think the Rockets, to me, you know, I guess they, they might rather play the Lakers in the second round. But I mean, I think they'd feel fine about matching up with the Nuggets or the Jazz if they're either the fifth or the sixth seed. That's a, They'll get either of those two teams most likely. That I think they're okay with that. So as long as they weren't going to fall to seven, and I think they've pretty much avoided that with this win tonight. Uh, being Now, it, it's a little weird when we talk about the loss column because teams have played different number of games, so it yes. comes down to percentages. It's not, uh, like, it's not perfect that... Uh, but pretty close to it. I mean, and with the Thunder now, or I'm sorry, with the Mavericks, they are three games behind the Thunder in the loss column, four behind the Rockets, and five behind the Nuggets and the Jazz. So we'll see. OKC hasn't played yet, but this is one that the Mavs really needed to have, I think, if they were going to move out of that seven seed. And it's really going to be a tall order and probably the only team that they realistically can catch. Because remember, the Jazz won the other day, too. Uh, the only team they realistically can catch now would probably be the Thunder. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's good for us. At least we'll see a Clippers-Mavs first round, and that'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and I, I think the those kind of double-sided games that was a, a big part of the Jazz-Pelicans game on opening night, I think the, the other kind of way to... to think about the impact of that is the only other game on this day of fully full of exciting games was the other one that went to overtime portland memphis yeah let's take a quick break here and we'll talk about that one uh really really exciting game man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm gonna be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us yeah this is a as you mentioned before the break a, another overtime game and portland led it early in the third uh, by 13 john morant uh, had a really nice second half he had 17 in the second half uh, brought them back in a huge third quarter and the grizz had a pretty nice lead throughout most of the fourth uh, but uh, portland battled back and, and i think our biggest takeaway here other than just simply the fact that portland has gained ground when everyone else that they're playing has lost really because the kings lost and new orleans lost and memphis lost also to make it closer to getting un- into the playing game uh, with memphis if portland does in fact get to number nine uh is yusuf nurkic and zach collins like both looked really good continuing what it took place in the scrimmage game yeah nurkic in this one had six blocks in 33 minutes also contributed offense yeah, tying a career high for nurkic yeah and i mean you could see portland's defense it, it just wasn't as stout for most of the game. and you know Por- memphis had a 120.5 offensive rating overall in the game but you could see nurkic's impact and also just having 48 minutes of capable center play and th- remember the the cascading injuries that portland dealt with this year with nurkic and collins who was going to then be you know who started the season as both their starting power forward and backup center it that that kind of created a problem and also i was reminded in this game that memphis especially without justice winslow being available 
they're not well situated to taking advantage of Portland's limitations defensively at small forward. And Trevor Reza, not in Orlando in the bubble with Portland. Carmo Anthony started, and it wasn't like Kyle Anderson particularly made him pay. And Melo actually had a couple of big threes late and contributed 21 points overall. Yeah, quickly on Nurkic, I mean, he looked so mobile, Danny. Yes. Like, he he blocked two three-pointers in this game. Like, pretty impressive. I mean, granted, it's guys with low release. He got Moran, I think he got Jaron Jackson. But still, like, you don't see that too often. Yeah, and Melo, I mean, you're right. They didn't really have anyone who is going to attack him in space, uh, particularly. And he hit, uh, Melo did two huge threes to get the Blazers back into it as they trailed late. uh, And he was set up by nice penetration by Lillard, who was, uh, Lillard and McCollum were getting penetration on Dylan Brooks and Morant. You could tell the Blazers guards like really loved going at Dylan Brooks, uh, who likes to talk a lot. CJ McCollum even tweeted afterwards uh, a highlight uh, of himself saying, well, you know, I just got uh, on the island with uh, Dylan Brooks and decided to take advantage. You know, just like a very subtle uh, dig there. But yeah, I mean, the Grizz lead by nine with five minutes left in this game. And Nurkic brought them back initially, beasting it on the interior. Then he fouled out. And Carmelo Anthony had two huge threes, one with a minute 23 left, the other with 38 seconds left. That actually took Portland from down one to up two at that point. So yeah, Melo looked pretty good. I mean, skinny Melo definitely has more bounce. Like it's uh, now, is he going to be able to guard anyone on the wing? Are they going to ask him to do that? Probably not, but the Grizz didn't have anyone for for him to guard. So uh, yeah, offensively, he had a really nice game. Who else stood out to you in this one? We'll talk about Portland Stars in a bit, but I really liked the job, especially defensively, that Gary Trent Jr. did. I thought that he competed He competed out there, and there are there are some guys that on Memphis that you need to defend, and I, I thought it was notable not only that Anthony Simons didn't play, but that Gary Trent played and played well. Yeah, they went for the stagger. They only had one ball handler on there, but Trent was plus 20, as the vaunted Memphis bench really did not deliver part of it because uh, Tyus Jones is unavailable with that knee issue he's going to be out for at least a week so they had to really jury rig it on that Memphis bench with Kyle Anderson playing uh, some point forward and Grayson Allen running off of screens Josh Jackson played he was negative 14 in 13 minutes Uh, they did go with a lot of Dancy Melton although he didn't start Anderson started at the three and but Melton and Brandon Clark came in and Clark with his usual ridiculous efficient game 21 points 7-8 from the field and the line uh so they closed it with those five young guys which is a unit we were really excited about that that unit was looking good for a time Jackson uh who played well with 33 points 15 three-point attempts for Jared Jackson Jr. in this one. And so it was Morant, Melton, Dylan Brooks, Clark, and Jackson Jr. And that was an exciting unit, but they kind of really got beasted a little bit by the Blazers inside, and you know they weren't able to bring it home for a nine-point lead up with five minutes remaining in the game. And it was a really interesting battle between Jaron Jackson Jr. and Nurkic in the fourth quarter where Jackson had a couple of threes that were open when Nurkic was helping. And I thought the Blazers help at the rim with, with Nurkic and Collins completely transform their defense in the fourth quarter as, uh, you know, Morant really wasn't able to get going late in the fourth in some isos due to the good help. But Jackson missed a couple of open threes and then Nurkic beasted in the post on the offensive glass, eventually fouled out. But he got them on the comeback 
back trail and then uh, the Blazers guards uh, were able to finish it off and then they took control pretty early on in the overtime with, with McCollum in, in particular going off. Yeah and CJ ended the game with 33 points 14 to 21 from the field three of six from three another three of four from mid-range really efficient in all of the zones of offense and didn't turn it over too much you know six assists two turnovers Portland had 16 as a team but a lot of them came from from bigger players and Yusuf Nurkic had had four himself but I thought CJ and, and Dame both did a good job overall and Dame had some he had a beautiful finish and then had a, a huge you know I hockey assists are are complicated Seth ta- Seth Partnow talked about how like in hockey the the idea of hockey assists is actually changing around a little bit but he had an absolutely gorgeous one on that play to Melo where he found the open man but then that forced Memphis to recover and I believe it was CJ who kicked it to Melo to make the open three that gave them the lead look at these minute tolls for McCollum and Lillard 46 in OT granted but so and 45 for McCollum and Lillard respectively so they would have played 41 and 40 I mean this is Dame Lillard missed a scrimmage with some foot soreness he looked fine by the way uh even if he didn't have the three ball going so hopefully that's uh, nothing of importance but I mean the Blazers know like they came into this as if we lose this game we might just be done because the rest of their schedule uh, Danny if we want if you want to go through it oh it's heinous it's absolutely murderous so they play Sunday so basically it's every other day other than a back-to-back which I'll tell you Celtics Rockets Nuggets Clippers and then so it's Clippers and Sixers back-to-back then one day off before the Mavericks another day off and then the Brooklyn Nets now there is some hope there though because uh, you mentioned that the Celtics they tried it uh, against Milwaukee today but Kemba Walker didn't play his full minutes we'll see uh, uh, I don't think the Celtics really have any chance at all of dropping to the four seed so that's when it's going to be on ABC but that might be one where the Blazers can get a little bit of momentum the Clippers might not be they might not be playing for a ton uh, about a week from now that's possible too yeah that that's absolutely true and Dallas it, might you be mentioned set. I'm sorry Dallas might be set in the second to last game of the regular season yeah they could just be locked into the seventh seed taking it a, a little bit more easily Denver obviously is something they could still win Houston definitely is going to be trying that'll be a tough game Philly you know we'll see where that they may even be trying to lose and then they got Brooklyn in the last game so uh, there's there's a chance that half of the teams that they're playing may not have a huge incentive particularly because I think uh, maybe what the strategy is going to be for a lot of these teams especially just just due to the optics of the restart too which I appreciate of wanting to get this thing off on the right foot by playing hard and just enjoying being back uh, playing basketball we may see some of these teams really go hard the first three four games kind of get guys in shape and then maybe taper them off a little bit as we move into the playoffs if their seating is relatively secure so i'm not willing to say yet that portland has this like really really difficult schedule but on paper certainly i mean really the only other game that they would be favored in as you look at their schedule would be brooklyn if everyone was uh at full strength Something else I wanted particularly to, considering no home court advantage. Something else I wanted to discuss briefly from this game. Two players who came off the bench who you probably don't want to see the ball in their hands as much as happened in this game. Mario Hazonia, as the archbishop, I will acknowledge his flaws. Um, he had a couple of bad turnovers, a couple of terrible shots, and then Josh Jackson, better as a complimentary piece rather than a, a ball dominant one. And yeah, the the Mavericks. I, I don't know if he is. I don't know if he is better as a complimentary piece. He he may <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> I just think uh, he's... I mean, because he can't do anything off the ball, but I, uh, I, I don't know that he has a role. That's kind of been the problem for him. Yeah, that, ha- that um, has... Hazonia, Hazonia did break Kyle Anderson's ankles, and but then he, of course, missed the, the three shot. for the highlighted time. Yeah, I mean, Hazonia on UCLA crime, I was I was conflicted at the time, but um, it was yeah, it, it was <laughs> not exactly the, the most illustrious moment for him. And 
Yeah, I mean, Memphis, I think the big takeaway from this game is, yeah, I mean, you talked about Portland won and everybody else lost, is if Memphis had won this game, they would have made it, it would have been more possible, not only that they're going to hold the eight, but even potentially that they can avoid this play-in situation. Now, if Memphis can get the eight, they have a big advantage in that circumstance because it's win one of two. But still, I mean, that that becomes more likely now. They're only, a, they're only two and a half games ahead of the Blazers. They're three ahead of the Spurs, and their schedule is, you know, it's, it's not particularly easy moving forward. We talked about with Portland, but it's not like Memphis has has a bunch of layovers at all. A couple other notes here uh, on this one. I mean, we at the end of the game, Mello hits that three, and Memphis tries to run the same play that had gotten Brandon Clark and alley oop dunk earlier, where they bring Morant off a handoff on the weak side, and then Clark runs to the free throw line like he's going to set a screen, and then he's so quick that he'll then immediately slip that screen and cut back door to get a dunk. Uh, Morant lost it, alley ooped it to him, but he was able to tip it in uh, to tie the game. And previously, when they ran that play, they got the dunk, but then Brandon Clark, after getting smacked in the face yelled at the referee and the referee did the miss the call and then compound it by calling a technical on the guy that you just missed the call on who got hit in the face um and so the blazers hit that and then zach collins got called for his own technical this is one where i think the lack of fans kind of uh you know led to the referees hearing more than they would have so there are four technicals in this and i think they were all either like taunting or referee related but dylan brooks missed that free throw so that was a, a big part of why it went into overtime um and then dylan brooks just took probably three Ugh. atrocious two-point jumpers like that's how you get yourself a 42 percent shooting percentage from two and you know early in the clock i mean you've got john morant you know i don't know morant was only seven to 22 but he had 11 assists like that's the guy who should be attacking in those situations and brooks really all right if you're open that's one thing but he was taking like a fade away long two with 14 on the shot clock that that was pretty ugly oh so um, john morant grabs yeah. the rebound with like three or four seconds left yes. in regulation how convinced I, were I you think that it was, he was yeah like four and a half seconds uh after Mello missed another three that could have won it that yeah. was wide open. I mean, I think he, I thought he was going to get his Ty Zedneon. That that is genuinely what I thought was going to happen, and then he just lost his footing a little bit. There, I didn't I didn't see any sort of foul. He just just lost it a little bit. Yeah, it, he was kind of going at a weird angle away from the rim. But I mean, he he's one of the fastest guys in the league, and I trust Taylor Jenkins to not call timeout. There it was pretty close. You know, maybe three and a half seconds you call timeout, but he had enough of a head of steam that he could have gotten there in time, but he just ended up slipping down. I, I think it was about one. 0.5 seconds left he's already you know inside the three-point arc with a bunch of momentum at that point so i think it was the right call to not call timeout but obviously it didn't work out um let's take another break here we'll get to a few of these other games that maybe some quicker hitters anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets 
and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let's talk about Sacramento and San Antonio. This is another one that really went right for Portland and wrong for Sacramento. They could have taken advantage of New Orleans' loss yesterday. But, and this is a team for San Antonio. No LaMarcus Aldridge. Patty Mills didn't play at all in this game. He's just holding a clipboard. It seems like, I don't know if he's going to play in this entire restart. They played all their young guys together. They don't even have a backup center. I mean, the Eubanks didn't play at all in this one. He's their two-way guy as a backup center. Uh, You know, they didn't play Shimizu Metu. It was just Pirtle starting, and then they were going with Rudy Gay as their backup center. And yet, the Spurs, despite a outstanding game from De'Aaron Fox, handled the Sacramento Kings. Not only an outstanding game from De'Aaron Fox, Sacramento took 41 shots in the restricted area in in regular in a regulation game 25 of 41 that's an absolutely it was about 45 percent of their shots in this one and they just i I mean what concerned me was that they just weren't able to stop san antonio but san antonio the the attack definitely looked different derozan took more of a backseat during the early quarters and that let the guards go but then he ended up with a you know derozan ended up with an with an efficient night and the the spurs overall they they were they they suffered less resistance let's put it that way yeah I mean, DeRozan, 27 points and 10 assists in 38 minutes, interestingly enough. And he's the one guy who, I mean, he's a hooper. Like, he wants to just get out there and play. You know, Bryn Forbes is not really playing right now. Oh, they also signed Tyler Zeller on this team. Don't forget that. Um, We mentioned that Mills isn't playing. Aldridge had the shoulder surgery. So this is more of a development situation. But yeah, DeRozan was unstoppable. And the other guy who really, really impressed me was Derek White. The starting lineup, they started DeRozan at the four with Derek White, DeJounte Murray, and Lonnie Walker all together, and then Pirtle at the five. And White, four of nine from three. I would be shocked if nine attempts weren't a career high in attempts for him, and four makes might be up there for him as well. Plus 19, 26 points, five assists, eight rebounds. Oh, and by the way, he took five charges Incredible. in the game. I can't remember that ever happening before. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was a high-paced game, but still, that is five charges in 34 minutes is pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah, and we should talk a little bit about De'Aaron Fox's night. 39 points, six assists, three turnovers, and 17 of 33 from the field. Only got to the line five times, but made four of those five. Speaking of career highs, that 33's got to be a career high for him in terms of shots, too. That is a lot of shots to take but he was he was getting to the rim at well actually let's check out his shot chart here while you're pulling up his shot chart yes that is absolutely a career high for De'Aaron Fox his previous career high he did it a couple times was 24 field goal attempts so he blew past that yeah and they definitely uh, did not take it easy with his minutes either there was certainly a sense of urgency from the Kings and you mentioned the 41 shots in the restricted area De'Aaron Fox took oh 20 shots in the restricted area (laughs) as a point guard i mean other than like what russell westbrook has been doing here with the houston and this crazy role that he's been playing i mean i can't recall seeing that 12 of 20 in the restricted area and i mean he's just he never shoots it with his right hand but he's just so quick 
quick and has such a good feel for little double pumps around the rim with his left hand he is probably the most dangerous guard pushing the ball in transition now in the nba it's up there i mean he and he and Morant, and then you know you have to get into guys like LeBron and Giannis still too. But uh, as far as point guards, like he is the one man fast break. Uh, he was awesome. Spurs had no rim protection as mentioned, but uh, I mean they just could not stop San Antonio to save their lives. Um, so a good start for this Murray White and Walker backcourt. It, it did turn out to be the closing unit. Neither Murray nor White played at the end. Instead, it was Keldon Johnson who had a really nice game. 30 minutes, 8 points, 2 of 4 from 3. And Rudy Gay, who, who also uh, always gets up for his former team in Sacramento, had 19 points. So yeah, 129-120 was the final uh, oh man, was Buddy Heald off off the bench? That's exactly minutes. where I wanted to go. And a point I wanted to make because I thought of this. Dur- I didn't watch this game too closely. I was focusing on other ones. Buddy Heald hasn't even started his extension yet. Remember, Sacramento gave him four years in between ninety four and one hundred and six million a year in advance. No, I think I think it's I think it's like between eighty six. Oh, and might 94. be it might be. I yeah. was I was looking up. I looked at a piece and maybe they overstated it a little bit. But anyway, Buddy Heald getting you know more than twenty million a year, and he is now not starting on the Sacramento Kings because Boyan because Bogdan Bogdanovich is better than he is, and two of thirteen from the field, one of eight from three, negative thirteen in twenty minutes, and I mean Heald is better than that, and and he I think that he had a, he had a rough year and he, he's a better shooter, but. Years ago, I criticized Sacramento, actually the same front office to some extent, for, for extending DeMarcus Cousins early, and I ended up being part, mostly wrong on that because Cousins would end up being a good player. But the reason why you don't do that is because if you shift the risk from team to player. And with match rights, the team has a lot of power. And imagine if Buddy Heald were a restricted free agent in this class, the type of money he would get. And yeah, even though there are maybe some, he would have some constituencies maybe in some of these young teams, even though he's less young than we knew that he was at one point. Hmm. I, I think, Well, they need some veteran leadership. Yeah, yeah, immediate transition. He's a young veteran. Um, but I, I think that, it, it again, you to me, if a team, you know, I, I think that players need to assess the risk differently in extensions. This will come up when we do a lot of different conversations heading into this offseason. But teams need to do risk assessments too. And I think Buddy Heald is a good example of why. Other interesting notes for the Kings, as Fox played 38 minutes, their starters, they went with Bielitsa and Harrison Barnes together. Rashawn Holmes, who had that 10-day quarantine and did not look like himself, uh, particularly on the defensive end of this one. He ended up falling out in 24 minutes. But they went with Bielitsa as the backup center in large part. That's a unit that the numbers on them had, had been pretty decent, but they just could not. Like Derek White was just going right down Main Street. They had no answers uh, for DeRozan well, and, either. And, and, and it can work for Bielitsa offensively. It's, it's actually similar to, yeah. to the role that he played at times when he was a EuroLeague MVP. But that doesn't work as well in the NBA because there are a lot of guys that can, you know, if you can pierce the attack at all, something we talked about in the Portland-Dallas game, then there's no one who could stop you. And that's why we saw, Deer, uh, saw Derek White do so well. Yeah, and Harry Giles only played four minutes and was negative 10 in his four minutes. So that's why he only played four minutes, I'm guessing. And Alex Len still uh, was not available due to his uh, recovery from COVID-19. So uh, rough one for the Kings here. We could see, what's their schedule look like going forward here these next couple of games? Sacramento plays Orlando, Dallas, and New Orleans, their next three. But then they have Brooklyn after that. 
pretty tough schedule for them though overall yeah so i mean orlando that's winnable for them i mean they got to win that one if they lose that one uh they're done i mean there's just there's no way like the, those are the two that they had to win uh and you know then they'll have a huge one against new orleans they actually played new orleans twice but they don't play portland and portland has that percentage point tiebreaker over them just by virtue of having played uh two more games and gone 500 in them so yeah they gotta win this orlando game maybe they'll see a dallas with their foot off the gas a, a little bit i don't think that that's a little early for that though but yeah i mean they better win on sunday against orlando um and speaking of orlando that is the game that we did today it was a ton of fun to actually do the game all in one window no syncing up not that you shouldn't watch the nba cast still because it is fun but uh, we recognize it's uh, too big of a barrier to entry for a few people so all you had to do is just click on the little influencer button when you pull up the game uh, on nba league pass and uh i never thought of us uh, as influencers but it seemed like a fair number of people watched it we got some really nice comments thanks to, to those of you who were supporting us uh, on that but uh what about the game itself here i mean i i thought there was really just one strategic element here uh where brooklyn was killing them and then orlando changed up their defense and brooklyn had no answers in the early going brooklyn got more penetration and was able to make hay with that penetration getting shots around the basket and then that well pretty much dried up it seemed like it was really after that first starter to bench sub that steve clifford made an adjustment and then the the spigot was gone for the brooklyn nets they only scored 20 points in the in the second quarter 23 in the third quarter and by that point the game was functionally over yeah and that adjustment was that they actually brought Nikola Vucevic out on the floor kind of more similar to the way the Nuggets use Nikola Jokic now the Magic will do that on a side pick and roll they'll try and use Vucevic to trap the guy against the sideline but what was happening was that Lavert in particular was able to snake the pick and roll get into the mid-range get the guy on his back and then get a two-on-one with he and Jared Allen Jared Allen was five for five in the first quarter it had a bunch of dunks Lavert was looking great uh getting into the mid-range as well and so they just decided all right we're gonna bring Vucevic all the way up to the level of the ball now and the problem is that the Nets have no secondary playmakers and even their primary playmakers aren't really great passers out of that situation they're not used to getting blitz Lavert maybe a little bit he's got size at six seven but all the rest of their guys are undersized and so it really ended up devolving into a lot of mid-rangers from Tyler Johnson and Chris Chioza trying to drive but not really having the size to finish bunch of missed three-pointers from the Nets as well they're starting backcourt of Chioza and Lavert went 0 for 9 and yeah it looked like it's going to be a very rough time here for the Nets fortunately for them Washington in one of their few winnable games also lost to Phoenix today so they may make the playoffs and you and I will not be uh, recording on their games against the Bucs unless they're close which they uh seems like they probably won't be a, um, a couple other things yeah. I-, I wanted to mention from this one one you brought up Brooklyn's limitations there were times in this one where they reminded me of the 1819 or even the 1718 Phoenix Suns where they not only didn't have a ton of dribblers but they didn't have a ton of passers and so that just makes it easy for an offense to stagnate but also we saw Jonathan Isaac return to the court this was his first competitive game since January 1st I thought he looked good not great physically but he ended up hitting a hitting some jump shots went two for two from three six for seven from the field for 16 points some of that was in the let's call it less competitive portion of this game and Ken Birch early on 10 10 points in the first half I thought that he looked good and he got the backup center minutes over Mobamba who only played in garbage time yeah, that had, uh, continued what had gone on in the scrimmage. You thought maybe it's because the Nets had Rudy Kurex as their backup center and they wanted someone with a little bit more mobility. It- 
in Birch, but Birch had also been ahead of Bamba in the rotation. I think he just outplayed him in camp, frankly. And with the Magic going into a, a playoff situation, now they're going to play the best guy. Obviously, you're going to skew towards the prospect potentially rather than uh, over the course of a season you want to try and develop Bamba but you know I think I think there's maybe starting to be an understanding there that Bamba you know is not really their future at center despite the fact that he's made some strides and gotten stronger this season um I mean the magic Nikola Vucevic had that hook shot working he even took five free throws in this game we're marveling that he got fouled on two of those hook shots but he actually made his first five hook shots uh, and so that really helped he was plus 20 at 22 points and also I think he really opened things up for drivers like Evan Fournier to get to the rim with his shooting ability pulling Jared Allen away um you know I'm, I'm interested to see how the net scheme is going to change under Jock Vaughn but it's really tough because I mean they started Lance Thomas who wasn't on the team and Chioza I think was like I don't know I don't think he started on a two-way this year I think he was on a full contract by the time that things ended and then uh they Tyler Johnson wasn't on the team he played 19 minutes so it was, uh, I mean, this Nets team just didn't have the defensive communication once it really got down to it and Orlando started attacking them. So big win for Orlando. I, especially if Isaac can get going a little bit more, I think they actually could potentially give Toronto a decent series if they get up to Toronto. I mean, it seems now, especially with this win, that it's fait accompli that they will in fact be the seven seed. Um, and I mean, it was 128, 118, but it was a 29 point game at the start of the fourth quarter. So it, you and I got to uh, got to get into the question bag <laughs> there in the fourth quarter. It was our first. Because usually on the NBA cast, if it was a 29-point game, we would just turn it off. But we had to just basically like make conversation for the entire fourth quarter, which is kind of fun. But uh, Yeah, and we, we, we also got to talk about the our, our, well, my, let's call it, fascination with whether Timothy Luau Cabarro was going to get his career high. Going back to his days on the process Sixers, he had a, 20, he had a couple 24-point games, and he got another one of those. So he t- ended up tying his career high with a dunk. But did most of his damage as a three-point shooter, five of eight from three. And so we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. I mean, this is such a strange bubble time for the Nets, especially because they're probably going to make the playoffs because they're evaluating players like Laverde and Allen, and, but more they're fit with a very different team. And so I, I wonder what Sean Marks is going to take away from this, both for like Jacques Vaughn, and though I don't think Jacques Vaughn's going to be their coach of the future. And, uh, and with Orlando, they have a couple of more games against you know, let's call them less stout opponents, the Kings and the, the Pacers. Pacers remember playing without Devonta Sabonis. And then they get Toronto, Philly, Boston. So we'll see if their offense comes back to earth. I have a pretty pretty clear feeling about how what's going to happen there. Yeah, this was actually the Magic had their best shooting half from the field in the first half as they put up 70 points. Maybe when they had like Brooklyn. a 140 offensive rating. Also, by the way, I mean, Jock Vaughn, I don't know, man. Like they brought him in and, you know, I think he, he's kind of in the situation where maybe he's coaching for a job there were actually reports i think Woj said that he is going to be a strong candidate to stay next year but this one has all of the hallmarks and, and vaughn did not impress uh, he did not get his revenge game against orlando where he, he had previously coached but i mean you start lance thomas who just signed off the street instead of Rody crooks who you know i realized crooks is kind of in the doghouse and he had a, a domestic violence allegation uh, which was disturbing over the summer but you know not enough to get a suspension or, or anything i don't think he got suspended at least um you know and, and i don't know if that uh, situation is resolved yet but nonetheless like 
Kurix is playing, why not just start him at the four and just see what you have? I mean, Lance Thomas is pretty decrepit at, at this point. I mean, he was unsigned for basically the entire season. You know, get, give us a little more Zanin Musa instead of Tyler Johnson off the bench. I mean, I guess they, they thought these guys were giving him the best chance. I thought actually Tyler Johnson looked fine. They were just asking him to do way too much offensively. Um, I, I, Hopefully they'll get more into a youth mode instead of Jock Vaughn trying to like coach for his job mode. But, you know, it's, it seems like they've kind of given up the organizational philosophy a, a little bit with some of these moves. And, and this is a, perhaps another indication of that, the uh, playing time, the way it was doled out. No arguments here? Um, Talk very briefly about Boston, Milwaukee. Giannis looked awesome. Remember, he was dealing with some knee issues. He's probably going to get shut down for a little bit. But he continued to prove here that Boston has no answers for him. I mean, these teams played really hard. Kemba Walker only played 19 minutes with that knee, but he looked pretty good with 16 points in 19 minutes. And he's causes problems for the Bucks. So 32 minutes, 36 points, 14 to 20 from Giannis. Eh, 7 to 12 from the foul line. Still something to watch there for him. Eh, five personal fouls. Still something to watch there for him too. I mean, that's, <laughs> five that's personal fouls reason. that could have been six like five different times. Yeah, and actually Marcus Smart. I, I mean, at least I, this is what I love about Marcus Smart is like, you know, Boston kind of has this uh, wrapped up their seed. He tried to take a charge and it was a clear blocking foul, but he was so pissed off that he said afterwards that, you know, they they, they just won't fall out Giannis because he's the MVP and they wanted him to stay in there. I'm like, hey, this game doesn't really matter that much. Like Milwaukee's already got a home court pal, but, uh, you know, for him to be like so competitive that he sees this conspiracy theory and then like Jalen Brown tweeted this like little Photoshop meme talking about like the league favoring the, the Bucks. I think it was like, what was it like uh, Giannis walking hand in hand with Ken Maurer photoshopped next to each other. So it's good to see that these guys, uh, Karen Smart was awesome in this uh, in this game. Less awesome though is Jason Tatum continuing what had been some ugly scrimmage games and maybe the worst shooting game of his career. I would bet two of 18, five points, 0 of four from three. And one of the things that we had really tracked was this idea that maybe Jason Tatum with the off the bounce three-point shooting that he had shown was going to be able to break this Bucks defense where Brooke Lopez is going to lay back and so only four three-point attempts and then they force him inside the arc two of 14 inside the arc he missed a bunch of finishes and the, of course the Bucks are very hard to finish against so this is a data point that maybe Tatum isn't going to be able to get off that many shots from three and because those Bucks guards they do a great job of selling out to take away the off the dribble three and force you into mid-range and that that seemed to work pretty well in this game admitting that I did not see the entire thing yeah and Tatum not only one for six in the restricted area but also five floaters missed all of those and I'm not going to read too much I'm sure I know some drew parallels to the struggles that he had finishing at the rim in the beginning of the regular season and and there might be some validity to that but Milwaukee is one of the most stout teams protecting the basket in NBA history Robin Robin Lopez Brooke Lopez and Giannis maybe the most maybe honestly it might be and and so I'm not going to draw too much Boston will have will play another seven seeding games if Tatum continues to have trouble then I'll start to be concerned but I'm not going to be right now my biggest takeaway from this game was that Kemba Walker looked better physically than I anticipated I was really kind of dreading especially with with him not playing that many minutes I was concerned that it was just going to be kind of him holding on you know trying to make it work but I thought he looked pretty good physically and still have time for him to get right and Kemba needs to be a he's a part of the best version of the Celtics team and so it isn't necessarily about right now I think especially after this loss more likely that Boston's going to get the three they basically had to run roughshod over the bubble to get to the two 
and which they had a reason to do because you'd rather play orlando than any of the other teams right nonetheless but nonetheless and so i i think that they have a long time to get right but they're gonna have to do it and i'm happy that kemba walker is a part of that you, you talked about Giannis. chris middleton has killed has killed the celtics at other times he, he had his moments in this one but he also missed a bunch of threes so he ended up two for nine from long distance 18 points overall but i thought brick lopez's defense was very impactful i thought that, you know the, the way that he changes shots around the basket alters them and as you talked about on the live show that we did making it's it's deterrence that can be really important too it's not just the shots that he blocks or the shots that he alters it's the shots that never take place in the first place but lopez also credited with six blocks so we did plenty of that too yeah and the bucks uh eric bledsoe and pat Connaughton did not play because the the, after their COVID 19 diagnosis they're a little bit behind the curve in terms of conditioning and then marvin williams had what uh mike budenholzer described as a moderate left groin train so he didn't play but I mean, the Bucks have so much depth here anyway. It really didn't matter for them. And obviously, you know, with Walker only really playing, uh, you know, he didn't play at the end of the game or anything. So it's not like Boston was at full strength either. But it's still, I mean, very competitive among the guys that are out there. I mean, that's really what's been most encouraging to me. I mean, I know a lot of odds makers were saying, oh, well, you know, under party here like let's lower these down because this is kind of like an after a lockout situation and at the beginning of the year scoring is lower but uh you know that hasn't been the case so far i mean we had a a bunch of teams you know two teams put up over 140 every game today i mean the lowest any team scored in a game today was 118 by brooklyn no, i'm sorry 112 what? by boston oh don't don't forget the wizards 112 for them as well <laughs> though we're gonna yeah, for, I, though I we're gonna we're gonna forget them on this podcast very soon yeah phoenix watching was going on while we were casting so we did not see that but i do want to see a couple of phoenix games in particular uh deandre ayton hit his first career three-pointer today he was 11 of 14 from the field all right so change of plans i think we're not going to record tomorrow night now we need a uh, little bit of a break but i think we, we'll catch up with a big episode on sunday and talk about some of the teams that played saturday uh, as well so we will see y'all on sunday night and talk to you at that time also reminder hollinger and duncan is now going to be on monday mostly that's when we're going to record and danny and i will be uh, on sunday nights uh, and sunday through thursday night so don't worry you're still gonna get plenty of dunk down over the next three months for sure we'll talk to you on sunday night reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 